Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, a partner with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. Today, we're chatting with one of our members in Indiana. Joining us today on the program is Manoli Balukos, a partner at Ice Miller in Indianapolis. Today, Manoli is going to share an update on the issue of political speech in the workplace. Welcome to the program. How are you? Doing well, Tara. Thank you for having me here. So recently, Facebook made headlines with its prior ban of Donald Trump was upheld by Facebook's oversight board with the instruction that Facebook should reconsider Mr. Trump's account status going forward. And this ruling highlights the challenges that employers continue to face in dealing with political speech and political issues in the workplace. And that's what we want to discuss today. So let's start with the basics. What challenges are employers facing in dealing with politics and political speech in the workplace? Yeah, well, there are several several kinds of challenges that employers are facing right now. I think anybody who's paying attention at all the last few years knows that some of the, the political and social issues that have been a, a subject of great focus, you know, whether it's our last election in the United States or the Black Lives Matter movement and racial justice or a few years ago with the Me Too movement, that these social and political movements are present in every part of our lives, including in the workplace. And that manifests itself in a number of different ways. One is, you know, just sort of in the routine kind of workplace conflicts that we have between one employee and another. Now, often those conflicts are tinged with one of these political or social issues. Also, you know, when employees have some sort of grievance or complaint about employer practices, often now those, you know, grievances when they're brought to employers have a sort of political overlay on them. They're presented as part of a political or social movement. There's also the issue that, you know, many employers, as you, you know, you mentioned one example are deciding for a variety of reasons to take positions on particular social or political issues. And that leads both to pressure from inside your company, with your employees, and from outside of your company. So it's really every sort of element of how businesses are run these days are impacted by these hot button political and social issues. Now, when an employer is responding to workplace issues that have a political dimension, what legal issues should employers be aware of in this context? Sure. There are a number of, of legal issues that you need to think about. And I want to be clear to you, just to, so I have my terms defined correctly here, that when I use the term political, I'm using it pretty broadly. Some of the, the issues that fall within that, that term as I'm using them, things like you know, racial justice, gender equity, LGBTQ rights, you know, many people, many organizations, myself included, think about some of those issues as sort of basic human rights issues, not just a political issue. But the reality is, is that 
not everybody shares that opinion. And if you're a big enough company, you will have employees who don't share that opinion. And even when people do share the same basic value or goal, how you get there from a policy perspective, there are a lot of different opinions on that. So having, having said that, in terms of the legal issues, one thing I want to make clear is if we're talking about private sector employees, and that's usually who I'm dealing with, the First Amendment of the Constitution is not an issue. You know, people often bring up the First Amendment because it reflects, at least in the United States, sort of a general cultural societal value of free expression. But from a legal standpoint, when it comes to private sector employees, the First Amendment doesn't provide any speech protections because the First Amendment, like, you know, all of our fundamental rights under the Constitution are protections against government action, not against private sector action. You know, so with that in mind, you know, I think a lot of employers have the idea that if they live, you know, if they operate in a right to work state, that means, you know, you can fire employees for a good reason, a bad reason, or no reason at all. But the catch there, as employment practitioners know, is unless that reason is an illegal reason, in which case (laughs) at-will employment is not going to get you out of trouble. And there are all sorts of sources of law that provide protections for employees for different kinds of conduct and different kinds of speech. Under federal law, there's no general protection for political speech by employees in the, in the private sector. However, there are a number of different laws that provide protections for some kinds of speech. For example, you know, under discrimination laws like Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, an employee who, or a group of employees who are making a complaint about racial or sexual discrimination in their workplace, that complaint may be protected. And if an employer takes action against those employees on the basis of that complaint, that would be unlawful retaliation. And that's true, again, you know, if that kind of action meets the definition of a complaint under the statute, even if it's overlaid with you know, the language or motivation of a political or social movement, for example, like Black Lives Matter, the fact that there's sort of a political or social aspect to it doesn't remove the protection if the underlying action, again, let's say, you know, we believe, employees say we believe that employer is discriminatory in its hiring practices towards African-American employees or, or applicants, that might be protected, even though there's also a political aspect to it. Then under the National Labor Relations Act, employees who engage in what's called protected or protected concerted activity relating to terms and conditions of employment, when they get together to complain about things like wages, working conditions, uh, you know, that could be safety, that could be scheduling, that kind of concerted action when it's more than one employee for mutual aid or protection is protected by the National Labor Relations Act, which means you can't have a policy that prohibits employees from engaging in those kinds of activities, and you can't, you know, discipline or terminate them for doing so. And again, you know, that doesn't make all political or social speech protected under the National Labor Relations Act, but there are these intersections where certain kinds of political activity or social activity may also implicate those protections. For example, you know, there was the movement over over the past several years, the fight for 15 you know, which was a movement to have a national minimum wage of $15 per hour. And left-wing political movements and politicians 
were very involved in the fight for 15. So it certainly had a political dimension to it. But if your employees get together and are demanding $15 an hour because they think that they're not being paid enough, that would be protected under the National Labor Relations Act, despite the fact that it also fits into this category of political speech. And then finally, while there's no general protection for political speech or political expression under federal law, a number of states do have specific protections, in some cases, you know, fairly broad for political expression by employees. Mostly that relates to either activity or expressions outside of the workplace. Sometimes this is referred to as lawful off-duty conduct. But in some cases, it even really intersects with the workplace where employees, even in roles that relate to their employment, have some protected speech so long as it's not inconsistent with their, with their job duties. So that's to say that in designing policies or making determinations about how to handle a particular issue, employers really need to know what the law is in their particular jurisdiction. Because some states, like my state, Indiana, really don't regulate in that area at all. And other states, like California, have all sorts of regulations in that area. Certainly a lot to think about, especially if you're a multi-jurisdictional employer with a presence in a lot of different states. You may be running into a patchwork of laws on these issues. And thank you for clarifying the issue with regard to the First Amendment's application to private sector employees. I feel like this is a commonly misunderstood issue of you may have First Amendment rights, but you don't necessarily have a right to a job if your private sector employer doesn't like or agree with what you said, right? Yeah, that's that's a major point of confusion. You know, of course, I should say for the public employers out there, public employees do not have unfettered speech rights under the First Amendment as they would as private citizens away from work, but they do have some protections. You know, the extent of that protection depends on how their speech relates to their role within work. And so it, it's not a coverall protection, but Public employers need to be particularly careful about taking any action against an employee for engaging in some sort of controversial speech. And so let's talk a little bit in greater detail about that issue. We know that public employers have unique responsibilities with regard to what kind of conduct may be protected. What legal considerations should a public employer keep in mind when they are addressing political speech or activity of public employees? Yeah, I'd say there's three things that they need to look at. The first is whether the speech is on a matter of public concern, because generally speaking, if it's not on a matter of public concern, you know, for example, if an employee is sending or, you know, verbally saying inappropriate sexual remarks to a coworker, that wouldn't qualify as a matter of public concern and it wouldn't be protected speech. You also need to look at what that employee's role is and how the speech relates to their official duties. For example, if an employee says something controversial in their official capacity, or for example, we see these cases all the time, you know, where public employees use a public social media platform to make comments or, you know, to disseminate, you know, their political opinions that many <laughs> constituents of the jurisdiction find offensive, and that would be less likely to be protected than if they were, you know, engaging in political activity on their on their own time. Sort of on the other side of the spectrum, if an employee is a public employee on their personal time is going to a political rally, 
that would be a danger area to discipline them or punish them for engaging in that kind of activity. So on that issue, as employment lawyers, you and I often get calls from clients wondering whether they can discipline employees for offensive speech that has a political dimension. What should employers be thinking about when determining whether and to what extent to discipline employees for that type of conduct? Yeah, sure. So I think the starting place is you do need to be thinking about the legal issues that we already talked about. You know, is this kind of speech or conduct protected under some source of law? Because if it is, obviously we have a problem. We also need to look at any relevant contractual obligations And that could go both ways. For example, if you have employees who are covered by a collective bargaining agreement, you want to look at that agreement and any kind of side agreements to see if there's some additional protection that might apply. Also, at the same time, if, you know, particularly with executive employees, you may have language in an employment agreement that directly addresses this kind of issue. That may give you a clearer path towards taking action with an employee who has, you know, engaged in some sort of controversial or offensive speech. But also, (laughs) there are states where even those kind of contractual arrangements are limited. So you need to know what the law is in your jurisdiction. But so assuming that you don't have a legal or contractual inhibition to, to taking action, there's several other things you need to think about. I always talk to my clients. I say, well, who is this person and what is their role? And how does their conduct relate to their job? Because the less related it is to their role and the less responsibility they have, I would tend towards taking a more cautious approach. Because the problem is, is if you attempt to regulate the political speech and behavior of every rank and file employee you have, especially if you're a large employer, it's really sort of a never ending battle. And if you, you know, if you take action towards one kind of speech, then you're going to end up, you know, getting people, members of the public who are going to put you on the horns of a dilemma when they find an employee who maybe is engaged in some sort of speech that you're, you're more comfortable with, but is controversial and ask you to take action against them. I guess I, I missed an important part, which is you should also be looking at your policies immediately, because if something that somebody does violates one of your policies, for example, if it violated a you know, sexual or racial harassment policy, you might not need to go much farther than that. But usually the situations that are troublesome for my clients, and I'm sure you're in the same position, are things that don't fall neatly into those categories that aren't clearly you know, racial or sexual harassment. So again, then I'm looking at how does this relate to what this person is doing? What is their level of responsibility within the organization? And are they a person who's speaking on behalf of the organization or is assumed to speak on behalf of the organization, or are they somebody who really, you know, that's, that's not what their job is at all. So I, you know, I like to look at all of those factors. And you also, I mean, the reality is, is there is a huge public relations aspect to this too. So you have to think, well, if this blows up and becomes, you know, something that's spread on Twitter or whatever, TikTok, I think is the, <laughs> is the really hot social media platform right now you know, what is likely to be the reaction to this, both positive and negative, and how are we going to have to, how are we going to handle that? Now, I don't advise my clients to react on the basis of what they think the majority opinion is going to be on social media, but it's certainly a consideration that's critical right now to at least be prepared for a public relations blowback. Typically, 
you know, my clients end up, if it is a rank and file employee, they probably would start by talking to somebody, explaining to them why their conduct might be problematic and how it impacts their relationships in the workplace, but not taking any disciplinary action. Obviously, if you have somebody who's in a high leadership position, your CEO, regardless of whether they're doing it on their own time or official unofficial work time, it's going to impact the organization and you need to take it very seriously. Now, what about political speech or activity that occurs outside the workplace, certainly in the context of social media or things that occur off duty or outside of regular business hours? You mentioned the issue of state laws protecting certain off-duty conduct. Can employers regulate what their employees do outside of work during non-business hours? Yeah. So all of the same kinds of legal considerations that we were talking about potentially apply. You know, we want to know what state law protections are. When there are state law protections for political affiliation or political activity, they usually are heavily focused on protecting off-duty conduct, right? So it's more likely you'll find something that says you really cannot interfere with your employees' political activity away from work. Of course, if you're in a jurisdiction where that is is not the case, or if it's just not the kind of thing that triggers the law in your, your jurisdiction, again, you're sort of getting into this question of what is the nexus between their job, what's the impact on the organization, and what, you know, what is sort of the, again, I hate to, to sound cynical, but what is sort of the public relations aspect of the conduct? Again, assuming that, that you have the ability legally to, to take some kind of action, because you don't want to be playing this game where you're sort of getting ping pong back and forth by whoever is upset about something that one of your employees posted on a social media platform. But if it's somebody who is representative of your organization and they're doing things on their social media that are contrary to what your organization's values and goals are and really could have an effect on you know, your ability to, to attract talent, to retain talent, and your bottom line, you may need to take some action. But I think part of the key to that is also to have some sense of who you are as an organization, what your goals and values are before you find yourself in one of these situations so that you're not always sort of blindly reacting when something controversial comes up. Now, on that particular point, it does seem like a lot of employers may not deal with the issue of political speech in the workplace until an issue has already occurred. And so in light of the various legal issues at play, is it better to be proactive rather than reactive? In other words, should employers be taking stances on political issues in the first place? So I guess I'll start with the caveat that it does depend on you know, what kind of employer you are and what industry you're in. Because frankly, there are some employers in some industries who, are not, who do not really have much of a sort of public facing aspect of their business where it frankly doesn't matter that much. But many employers, if you are interacting with the, the public, especially if you're a larger company, you don't really have a choice because not taking a position on certain issues, or at least not addressing sort of whether you have a position or not, is considered a position. So, you know, for example, there have been a number of pretty controversial issues and issues that evoked a lot of passion and feeling in the public over the last year where many employers have taken a position. And employers who did not take a position on them, particularly larger employers, ended up having to do something about it, like you said, sort of reacting instead of getting ahead of it and putting out there, this is who we, who we are. 
you know, there's no right answer in terms of what positions you should be taking. And different clients have different approaches. Some of them like to say, you know, we are, this is what our value is. And this is what we value internally as our culture. But we also respect the right, you know, within limits for our employees to have different opinions. And, you know, for example, when a member of the public says, hey, you know, your mid-manager has something on their Facebook that I think is offensive. I want you to fire them, that they don't overreact to that immediately. But they are very clear to their employees, you know, this is what we value. This is what we believe. And this is how it's integrated into our policies too, because the reality is policies that address issues like race, gender, sexuality, and a number of other issues, they're not totally politically neutral. So I think it's better to have those conversations, to do the thinking about who you are, who you want to be in the future, and have an approach that reflects those values, taking into account the law and both the upsides and downsides of taking those positions. Because there's always going to be, for large public-facing employers, there's always going to be positives and negatives. And you got to be willing to live with the negatives too, because ping-ponging back and forth, depending on who's mad at you at the moment, that never seems to work out. The employers who seem to do the best with this are the ones who know who they are. They stick to their values and their positions when they're challenged, and they're willing to take a little bit of heat and ride it out when they have to. This is certainly a complicated area of the law for employers, and we know these issues continue to evolve. Thanks so much for taking the time to discuss these issues with us and for joining us on the program today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to connect with Manoli or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Also, you may visit the website to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks so much for listening.